Well, I wanted to reiterate what I, you may not have heard me say when the mic wasn't on. Happy Father's Day, fathers. And we do have a gift for you this morning. Beef jerky. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, as you walk out this morning, grab your jerky, guys, and, and happy Father's Day to you. I saw a um, post by someone who said, uh, what did your father teach you? First thing that came to my mind was my dad taught me that God's favorite color is green. And debate the theology all you want, but um, that was an observation by a man who was not a Christian, became a Christian later in his life, but he was an outdoorsman and um, put two and two together looking at the world. And if God has a favorite color, it's got to be green. Maybe the blue ocean, I don't know. But anyway, um, so there you have it. Uh, Good for you to think about that. Those of you whose fathers are living and you're celebrating that today, maybe you want to tell them something of importance that uh, they have passed on to you that you value uh, deeply, or if your father is gone, uh, cherish that truth today. All right, we're going to move on with our study of 1 Corinthians uh, this morning, and I'd like you to take your Bibles if you have them with you. We're going to stand up just uh, in a minute again. I'll pray, give you the chance to rest the legs in the feet, um, and we are looking at First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verses twelve through eighteen, are what is what we're going to read this morning. We're only going to cover a portion of that this morning because there is a lot here in this passage. So, would you pray with me, please, as we uh, turn our attention, our hearts, and our wills to the Word of God this morning? Pray with me, please, Father. You are our God and our Father, and we are your children, and we are helpless without you. You conceived us, you caused us to be born and born again, and you made us as your children to be like your Son. For that we are grateful, and we thank you for our earthly fathers this morning that are a mere shadow of the real Father true fatherhood, for you are a God who is a God of love. You are a protector, a defender of truth. You are holy, you are good. You are our redeemer and even our friend. We thank you that all things exist for your glory, including our very lives and the bodies in which we live. And so as we turn to your word this morning, Pray that you, our Heavenly Father, would teach us to be more like you, because that is what every father wants, and what every son and daughter wants is to be like Dad. So make us like you this morning, through the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the Son of God, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. And to give honor to the reading of his word, would you stand with me, please? Our reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, the word of God according to the Apostle Paul. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, 
but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. For the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about body matters, body matters. And yes, there is a double entendre there. We're talking about the matters of the body, but we're also talking about that your body matters. In other words, it's not just immaterial, so to speak. We'll get to that. We live in a time, an era of personal autonomy. Um, You can do whatever you want to do. My body, my choice. And that is used by those who uh, uh, defend abortion. It is used by those who defend the personal autonomy of not getting a vaccine. It's used in many, many ways. It is the spirit of our age that I can do whatever I want, and you cannot tell me what to do. I have personal autonomy. I can choose whatever I want. I'm a man. I can choose to be a woman. I'm a woman. I can choose to be a man. I can love whomever I want, whenever I want. I can do whatever I want with my body. Rather than elevate and honor and give freedom to the body, however, that attitude and that philosophy of this world enslaves people. It enslaves them to sin. It enslaves them to the choices that they make because Right now, and and it's getting out of control, I think you might agree with me, the whole transgender rights, that when children are mutilated, you cannot go back from that choice. This is not about that. I'm just giving you an illustration. But the body is therefore denigrated. It is diminished. It is devalued with this idea that I can do anything in my body that I want to do. In the name of personal freedom, in the name of personal autonomy, The opposite happens. People become enslaved to sin. This is not a new idea. We think it's the the, the fruit of the the, uh, free sex of the 60s and the 70s. We think it's the fruit of taking God out of public schools. Judges 17, 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. We live in those days. We always have. Sometimes they're greater than others. But when there is no restraint, when there is no king in the land to give you values and, and, and mores, do whatever you want to do. And there is no king in our land. The king of kings and the lord of lords has been, quote unquote, deposed from our culture. 
And so everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Now, Paul started the subject of sexual immorality back in chapter 5, verse 1, remember, some weeks ago, where he said, it is actually reported among you that there is sexual immorality in your midst in such a kind that doesn't even exist amongst the Gentiles. He was aghast at that. He begins chapter 5 with this study, this, this topic of sexual immorality at the church in Corinth. And, and, and they had become very Corinthian in their attitude, which was very, we're very open-minded about this. And what, what a person wants to do with their body, with their personal life, that's up, totally up to them, just like today. And that's how the Corinthians viewed this. And Paul said, no, no, no. You need to make proper biblical godly judgments about sin in your midst. Because it is for the sake of the the health of the body. And so it's important to make those judgments about sin in your midst. And then he turned the, the conversation to, but you cannot let the world make those judgments about the church, suing one another out there. You can't do that. You have all you need in the church to make those judgments here. And so it was important for him to let them know that. And then he turned to that list of sins. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators or idolaters or adulterers or effeminate nor homosexuals or thieves or covetous or drunkards or revilers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This, these are the sins that are characteristic of the world and not of the church. And if you're living like the world, then maybe you don't belong to Christ's body. He's been saying to them all along, why do you live as if you do not believe the gospel? Instead of this identity that we have today, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a gay Christian, I'm a trans Christian, how about I'm an adulterer Christian, how about I'm a, a, a glutton Christian, how about I'm a liar Christian? It's not our identity. Our identity is you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Son of God and, his, and, and, and our spirit. That is our identity. Washed, sanctified, justified believers in Jesus Christ. So he began in chapter 5 with, I've actually heard that there's immorality against you, and he's going to end with, Flee immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. That's how he ends this section, which we will, not today, we'll talk about a little bit, but we're going to get further through it. The subject at hand... Yes, is immorality, but Paul is going to deal with that at a higher level. He's not just going to say, it's wrong for you to, to, to be immoral. Why? Because I said so. Any other reason? Because God says so. No, there's more to it than that. He's going to tell them that there is a prohibition to sexual immorality, but it's not unhinged from a greater reality. Rather, it is based on the positive and glorious truths about how God has created us and even our bodies and redeemed us. That our bodies have a sacred, special place with God. We're set apart for him. Therefore, immorality has no place. 
And it's not just, don't do that because it's bad for you. Ugh. There's a reason. There's a higher reason. And that is the subject that we're going to talk about this morning. It has been said that the Christian faith, more than any other worldly religion, world religion rather, ascribes the proper value and worth to the human body. It does. Because God created all things. And he will remake all things. And our bodies are redeemed, not just the immaterial part of us, but our bodies are redeemed, so what we do in our body matters. The body matters to God, and it should matter to us. So this particular passage is perhaps one of the most important theological passages in the New Testament about the body. Now, Paul is also going to introduce a couple of uh, themes that he's going to come back to. He's going to talk about sex in marriage. He's going to talk about Christian liberty in chapters 8 through 10. He's going to talk about the resurrection in chapter 15, and he introduces those ideas. And he's going to expand upon them as we go along. Now, Paul has, throughout chapter 6, there are six times that Paul uses this question. Do you not know? 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 Why does he do that? Why does he repeat that? Those of you who are Bible study and hermeneutic uh, uh, junkies and you like to, to read things, when you see repetition like that, there's a purpose. And what Paul is saying, you know this stuff. They are part of the elementary principles of the gospel, and yet you're living as if you don't know those things. Why? Don't you know this? And we're going to see... Two of those today, two of the, the, there are six, we've already seen three, we'll see two today and one next week. Um, but Paul is dealing with their misunderstanding. So there are three misunderstandings that we're going to look at this morning. Three misunderstandings that the Corinthians have, and mainly, yes, we're going to talk about immorality a little bit, but at a higher level regarding our bodies. So the first misunderstanding they have is this. A wrong view of Christian liberty. A wrong view of Christian liberty. We're going to get to Christian liberty. He's going to deal with it in full in chapters uh, 8 through 10. Uh, eating meat, sacrifice to idols. How does that work out? And Christian liberty is this idea that we are free to do apart from the law. Paul was, as you know, the apostle to the Gentiles. Christ specifically chose him to go to the Gentiles. And what Paul would do is he would go to a city and he would go to the synagogue because the gospel is to the Jew first. And from the scriptures, from the law and the prophets, he would reason with them about the Christ, about the Messiah. And he would get a beachhead. His people would come to Christ because the spirit of God was moving and bringing people to Christ. And people would come to Christ and then he would from there move out into the community, and, and preach the gospel to Gentiles. That's exactly what happened in Corinth. Remember that? Uh, in, in the book of Acts, he, he went to, to Corinth and he preached the gospel. He got kicked out of the, the synagogue, and then he, some of the Jews became Christians, and he started a church amongst Jews and Christians, which is the problem. Jews 
are all about the law, Moses and the law, and all about keeping the law. And so Paul had to explain to the Gentiles, well, um, Jesus is, a, is the, the, the Jewish Messiah, but he's the Messiah of the world, and he fulfills the law. Having fulfilled the law, we don't make sacrifices anymore. We don't have to go into the temple and do those things. We don't have to keep the dietary regulations. We don't have to uh, keep the feast days. We don't have to. You can if you want. That's the liberty. But we don't have to. The Judaizers, as they were called, and Paul deals with them in uh, the book of Galatians particularly, but also here in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, those were Jewish Christians who would say, we're, okay, we're fine to welcome Gentile believers into the church, but they need to become Jews first. They need to be circumcised, and they need to keep the law. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works. Christ fulfilled the law. And so if they, uh, you as a Jewish Christian, if you want to have... Um, Bacon omelet, you can do that now, okay? You're free to do that, just as the, the Gentile is. You're, you're free to do that. And so this idea of, of uh, Christian liberty was, was something that was being debated amongst them. Well, how do, we, how do Jew and Gentile live together? And it was hard for the Jews to give up the old ways. Of course it was hard for them. But for the Gentiles, um, it was probably more easy for them um, they didn't have any problem with the dietary regulations. They didn't uh, keep the Sabbath, for instance. They didn't go to temple. They didn't keep the high and holy days. We know that Paul even kept some of those things from the book of Acts. He continued. He went to, to, to Jerusalem for Pentecost. He kept the vow, and he would go to the temple. So he, there were certain things that uh, Jewish Christians continued to do, but they didn't have to, and that's what Christian liberty is all about. So he says in verse 12, and he is, by the way, stating the argument of the Corinthians. He had probably told them all things are lawful, in a sense. But they had taken it to extremes. All things are not lawful all the time. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. One doesn't have the right to do anything they desire. You don't have the right to do just anything. And Paul qualifies it. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. That means some things that you might have freedom to do, it's not profitable to do them. Christian liberty is not license. License is the, the idea that I can just, how we live today, the philosophy of the world, I can do whatever I want and you cannot tell me because it is me and my body and my decisions about all things, so just leave me alone and let me do what I want to do. By the way, you have to do, you have to follow that rule as well. Paul agreed with the first part but not without qualification Doing whatever you want is a misuse of grace. And Paul was charged with that, wasn't he? We're, we're saved by grace through faith. And so some people said, well, what Paul is teaching is that if we sin more, we get more grace. Paul said, no, no, no. You have that wrong too, just as you have this wrong. So one does not have the right to do anything that they desire. 
Because some things are not profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. In chapter 10, verse 23, he's going to come back and he's going to say the same thing. He will say, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but all things do not edify. In other words, build up your brother. You might have freedom to do something, but if it if it's ensnares your brother, if it trips your brother up, if it offends your brother, you don't that's not freedom. That's not love. In all of these discussions, he always comes back to love and he says, um, the greatest of the law is this love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you're going to be fine with everything. Famous statement of Augustine. But we always must look out for others. Not all things edify and build up the body of Christ. So one does not have the right to do anything they desire because some things are not profitable and because some things, even good things, can control and enslave us. Right? In this instance, Paul is not talking about something that is lawful according to Christian freedom when it comes to immorality because the commandment to not commit adultery was never abrogated. It's still in effect. So what the, what the, um, um, what the uh, Corinthians were doing was, was saying, well, look, the law is gone, so I can do anything. So adultery, that doesn't affect me or any of that stuff. Paul says, no, that is not the case. Some things will enslave us, and we know that. You, you've got the freedom to do lots of things. You, you've got the freedom to choose not to come to church on Sunday and, and, and golf or go fishing and maybe once in a while. But can you become enslaved to that? You might have the freedom to have a, a drink of alcohol because out, drinking alcohol is not a sin. But if there is something in your past, for, for instance, that you've struggled with, is it wise? It might be lawful, but is it profitable for you? It might be lawful for you to, to eat certain foods, foods but if you have a, a, a problem with, with, um, with gluttony and temptations and saying no, is it wise no. And that's what Paul is getting at. We do not have the freedom to do absolutely whatever we want. And so the application is this. Do not use your freedom for selfish, sinful purposes. Do not use your, your freedom for sinful and selfish purposes. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, It was for freedom that you were set free. You are set free from the law. You are set free from the law of sin and death. You are set free to not sin, not free to sin. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't enslave yourself to the very things that you were saved from and held you back before you came to Christ. So here are some, some basic principles, and we'll talk about this in chapter, chapters 8 through 10. You have the freedom to choose to do what is right according to God's word. Always, okay? You have the freedom to do according to God's word. If the Bible prohibits it, don't do it. If the Bible says it's okay, you have freedom, unless it hurts another. If the Bible is silent on the matter, you have freedom, unless it hurts another. And the law of love trumps the law of liberty. 
So there are all sorts of things that, that fall in that category. I mean, um, going to movies, type of movies you watch, um, tattoos, piercings, uh, chewing tobacco, um, smoking a pipe, um, homeschooling your kids, dancing, all these things that have in, in times past of, uh, uh, of uh, legalistic Christianity, some of those things uh, still exist, and there are all sorts of things. If the Bible is silent on that matter, you have freedom, unless it hurts another. And you should always seek to glorify God. That's what we're going to get to at the end. Glorify God in your body. That will, is always the question. It is always the final question before you do anything. Does this bring glory to God? And if it does, you are free to do it. But what Paul is getting at with the Corinthians here is they had this Corinthian attitude. Hey, we're open-minded. You can do whatever you want. And, you know, my body, my choice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He says, no, not, it's not like that. You have, you have liberty, you have freedom, but it is not absolute in every case. And that makes the Christian life interesting and sometimes a little bit dicey, doesn't it? And we have to work it out with God. So the Corinthians had a wrong view of Christian liberty, but they also had a wrong view of the Christian's body. A wrong view of the Christian's body. And again, I think in verse 13, he's uh, advancing the argument of the Corinthians who said, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. That was their attitude. Now, we know that that's not true, that God is going to do away with the body and the stomach here. I think he's talking about this is part of the body. Um, What did Jesus do in a resurrected body? He ate. What do we do in the marriage supper of the Lamb? We eat. When Paul, when Jesus introduced uh, the Lord's table in in um, in Matthew, he said, "I say to you, I will not drink of of the fruit of this vine from now on until I drink it with you in the kingdom of God." So there is a time forward when we are in our resurrected bodies, we will be eating and drinking, and there idea was, well, God's going to do away with the, the stomach. He's going to do away with food. So it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It's a typical attitude today. It's just, you know, I'm thirsty. I drink something. I'm hungry. I eat. I'm tired. I sleep. I've got certain urges. I have sex. Whatever. No, not whatever. What's the big deal? We hear that argument today, do we not? It's just a bodily function. Paul is making the case that no, there's much, much more to the sexual relationship than just a bodily function. There's much more to it than that. It's not just a physical thing. Bodily functions matter because God will not do away with the body. Not that he will. He says, yet the body is not for immorality. Your body is not for that purpose. Your body is for the Lord. It is for the purpose of the Lord. Your body is here to to serve God in all that you think and say and do in your body. Your body is for the Lord, he says, and the Lord is for the body. And how is the Lord for the body? This represents the fact that he came. He became flesh. And blood and 
bone and he lived and dwelt amongst us. And that literal body was given for us to redeem our bodies. Not just some wispy immaterial spirit that lives within us. But your bodies are redeemed. That's an important thing that I think Christians uh, often miss. That we are living in bodies that will be transformed and redeemed. The body is not for immorality. The body is for the Lord. We put this in reverse order. We see this. Because he says, now God has not only raised up the Lord, but he will also raise us up through power. He has raised up the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. He really rose from the dead. And that's important, the the physical, literal, bodily resurrection of Christ. Because some of the early heresies taught that he was just a phantom. He was just a spirit. He even, some teach that he didn't really take on human flesh because that was impossible because um, um, matter in the world, God could not take part of that. But he did. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He really lived in a physical body and he really was raised. And so it says in verse 14, he will raise us up with him in power. That is our destiny. So we see this in reverse order. Because of our resurrection, which is through Christ's resurrection, the Lord is for the body. The body is for the Lord. Therefore, the body is not for immorality. The body is for the Lord. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The Lord is for you, having given himself for you, literally, physically. Yes, a spiritual sacrifice, but a real living sacrifice who died that you might live. And therefore, the body is not, cannot in any way be for immorality. Remember, The immorality we're talking about, we defined it back in chapter 5. Any kind of sexual activity outside of the the covenant of marriage is sin. Let me say it again. Any kind of sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage is sexual immorality, and your body is not for that. It's not for that. It's not designed for that was not made for that. It is not God's purpose for your body. The application is this. Your body matters to God. Your body matters to God. Everything you do, you do in your body. This is where we live. How you think, how you speak, what you eat, how much you eat, if you exercise, how you vote, how you make love, how you worship. Everything you do, should be touched by the Lordship of Christ. Amen? All on that list and everything more should be touched by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We have a tendency to leave certain things out, don't we? Well, yes, I am under the Lordship of Christ, but there's certain certain movies that I like to, to watch. Well, there's certain things that I like to do that I mean others wouldn't approve of, but... Everything we do 
is in this body. And what Paul was dealing with in the day was Platonic dualism. The the Greco-Roman world was affected by the Greek philosophers. And uh, Plato taught, had this, this idea of the, the everything existed of matter versus form. So in the world, everything is, is matter. But outside of the world, there is a, a form of everything else. And everything here is imperfect. Everything here needs to be done away with. There is, a, there is a, a perfect church, there's a perfect body, there's a perfect whatever, but it is immaterial. It is not physical. Matter is in, inferior, and the spirit is always needing and looking to be set free from the body. That's what the Greek philosophers taught. And it had infected and influenced even the Christian thinking of this time. That's why the Corinthians could say, hey, what's the big deal? My body's going to be burned up and it's going away, so I can do whatever I want in my body. No. Your body will be redeemed. In fact, the proverbial saying of the day was this. The body is a tomb. And one philosopher said, I am a poor soul shackled to a corpse. And all of life was seeking through the mind and thinking through enlightenment to be set free from these bodies. But God created the world, physical. And what did he say about that world that he made? It is good. It's good. And he created mankind. It was very good. Yes, he gave man um, the responsibility of stewardship of everything under the sun, It's our responsibility to take care of this green earth. The rivers and the lakes and the trees. It's our responsibility to take care of those things. He gave us dominion over the earth. And then, of course, sin infected the world through Adam's sin. But he's not going to just burn it and do away with it. And sometimes Christians think that, well, everything's going to burn anyway, so what's the use? See, that platonic dualism affects Christians sometimes. God isn't really concerned with with the physical. He's really concerned about the spiritual. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you think that. That That is wrong. I have heard Christians say that. God isn't really concerned with the physical. I've seen one of the ways that this happens in churches is um, the lack of care of a church facility. Sometimes you see these churches that are dilapidated and they're just kind of cut up and put together, you know, and slipshod workmanship. And I've, I've been churches like that where people say, well, you know, we need to give our money to missions. Well, yeah, we do. Because God doesn't really care about the physical. Really? Aren't we stewards of this property and this building? Shouldn't we serve God to his glory in all that we do? God will one day raise our bodies from the dead. Yes, he's going to destroy the earth, but he's going to refashion it and remake a new heaven and new earth. And we're not going to be wispy spirits floating around on clouds with pretend harps. We will be in physical bodies living on heaven on earth. 
It is physical. It is reality. And we will enjoy that for all of eternity. And so, therefore, it is important for us to eschew this very idea that, you know, physical things, they don't matter. The spiritual things, that's what God really wants because we want to be set free from this corpse. No. This body will be redeemed. Your body will be redeemed. And everything that we do, we do in this body and should be affected by the Lordship of Christ. The application, the application is this. Present your body to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Isn't that what Romans 12, 1 says? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your spirits as a living and holy sacrifice. Is that what it says? No. Present your bodies. Why? Because we live in these bodies. Because this is where our spirit dwells. The, the, the Hebrew view of man was the idea of nephesh, soul, which was the Hebrew idea was um, a human being is a single identity, a single unity. Body and spirit are one. The Greek view was to chop up. We have the body over here. We got the spirit, and that can be uh, chopped up into you know the soul, whatever. No, the the Hebrew idea is you are redeemed in all of your wholeness. A holistic approach to the view of man, because that's the true approach. God redeems every bit of us. He redeems our body and spirit, our souls are redeemed. So present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Paul said this in Romans Knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead and is never to rise again, death no longer is master over you. For death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign where? In your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your stomach, whatever it is. Do not go on presenting your body, the members of your body, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But instead, present yourselves. Give yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The application is present your body, and I encourage you to do this regularly in prayer. Um, I have this prayer book that I follow, and one of those things that is in there sometimes is, and I will pray, God, I give you my hands today. I give you my feet. May they walk where you want me to go. My eyes that I will see what you want me to see. My heart will beat for you. My lungs will breathe for you. And we should give ourselves on a regular basis, recognizing that it is not just some spiritual wispy thing that is out there that is the Christian life, but we live in these bodies that will be redeemed. And until he comes back and refashions us, we are to present ourselves as living and holy sacrifices. Okay, we're not going to get to number three this morning.
But I'll tell you what it is. They had a wrong view of the gospel. And we're going to ask the worship team to come up. And I'll just talk about that a little bit. Because, are we doing, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, yeah. In your hands, please bring forth the bread and the cup. This is a good time to talk about this. Just as last week at uh, the baptisms, the water does not wash away sins. This is not the body of Christ. This is not the blood of Christ. It represents the real body. He really became flesh and dwelt among us. This represents for us the fact that he really endured excruciating pain. Blood came out of his body and his heart stopped. His literal heart stopped. He died for you. The body and the blood, a real death for real people that we might be really reconciled to him and that we might have a real resurrection. I want to just read to you the words to a hymn, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, because this is about the gospel that the, the, the Corinthians had wrong. Don't you know the gospel he was saying to them? Didn't I teach you these things? So here are the words, and they will be up on the screen. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the king. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity, real humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He, the perfect son of man, in his living, in his suffering, never traced nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man, Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law in him we stand. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured love untold. Come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death, the God of life. But no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. We just have a taste. How unwavering our hope, it will take place. These are the words from our passage. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. Really, literally, physically, we will be resurrected.
If you are here and you know Christ, I invite you to the table. If you don't know Christ, and maybe this morning you understand the gospel, it's a real Savior, Jesus Christ, sent by his Father who lived a perfect life to die in your place to take the penalty for your sins. All you must do is repent of that sin and turn to him in simple faith and say to him as you hold this in your hands, God, I am a sinner. Christ died for me. My trust and my hope is in that alone. And join us as part of the family at this meal. Christian, if there's been any hint of immorality in your life, if you have been abusing your liberty and your freedom in in various areas, and you know what they are, all because you know, well, God will just forgive me. And I'm I'm, I'm a Christian. It's all taken care of at the cross. He wants you to do better. He wants you to live by faith. He wants you to submit every aspect of your life to his lordship, including your body, because that's where you live. Take a moment, and we will partake together. Father, the one who created us and conceived us in Christ, you are Father par excellence. And we thank you that though we have earthly imperfect fathers that sometimes confuses us, there is no confusion about the kind of father you are, loving and good and gracious kind and merciful, forgiving, ever-powerful, ever-present, and a God who cares about our bodies, a God who cares about every aspect of our lives. We present ourselves to you as we remember the Lord's death until he comes back, in which he will, literally and physically. We proclaim his death until that day. And we ask for the power renewed in your spirit to live lives of holiness to your glory. In his name we pray, amen. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And God's people said, Amen. Would you stand? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, To him be the glory in the church and in all generations forever and ever in Christ Jesus. Amen.
you are dismissed.